So what does life look like now for you emotionally in terms of self-care, taking care of your, your heart, taking care of your body, all of that? Yeah. So it's still a work in progress. Um, I got to do, it feels so difficult sometimes to let go of just the feeling of control. Yeah. Like I had to take a medical leave from school at that point and I didn't want to do it, but it was the best thing. And my mom actually had to come with me and hold my hand as I signed all the paperwork. Um, but you know, now I'm graduated from college. <laughs> it was so hard. I, there were times I didn't think I would do it. Um, and I had to go back and repeat classes and I changed my major back again. So it was so hard, but I'm so proud of myself for being able to reach that goal. And you know, the only way I was able to do it was by taking the space I needed. Um, I'm really gentle with myself now. I don't always get a lot accomplished these days. And it's crazy because that was what I used to measure myself worth by. Yes. But I realized that, you know, I don't need to accomplish anything more than what I need for myself. Like I can set a few little goals and if I reach them, that is good enough for me. Mm. So I, I just, I'm really careful about how I treat myself now. And there's still a work in progress. Like there's still a lot that I'm working through and towards, um, like right now I'm struggling with relationships and figuring out like how to be in healthy relationships and what that's going to look like for me. But Are I you talking about romantic relationships or any relationships? Um, well, I've done a lot of work on like friendship relationships and I think I'm able to do friendships a lot more carefully now, but romantic relationships are still really tough. Yeah. So, so um, speak of I'm, that, how, how do you feel like having your dad going through what you did with your family and with your dad, how has that impacted your view of sex, sexuality, men, marriage, family, all of that for your future? <laughs> oh gosh, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm sorry, but it, I gotta I'm ask good. it. It's an important question, right? Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> I used to be really distrustful of men after everything first came out. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about men. I didn't even want to think about relationships. And, you know, I was like, how could I ever be in a relationship knowing what I know, knowing that there are so many men who are addicted to porn who are, you know, likely to cheat on me and who are, you know, probably going to be exactly like my dad. That was my thinking at the time. Um, yeah. And I've, I haven't always made the best choices about relationships and like who I'm in relationships with, because, you know, I've been in a relationship in the past with a man who was eerily similar to my dad like he would respect my boundaries but not really like he would kind of push at them and you know I didn't always feel comfortable saying no like four months in for example he wanted to take a vacation together and that was way too soon it was too close to Christmas time I wanted to be around my family and it was really really scary because I felt so much pressure to say yes to this really big thing that I knew I wasn't ready for it and it wasn't really an appropriate thing to do that soon in any kind of relationship. So, um, you know, it took a lot of, it took a lot of courage to find out how to say no and how to keep my boundaries really strong and firm. And I'm actually really grateful. Um, I've worked with a life coach as well throughout some of my healing journey. 
And I was so grateful to her because she was able to give me so many tools to help work through that particular situation and help me have really strong boundaries. Even when I like felt like, you know, I, I was going to put myself in a dangerous situation by saying no to something. So I was really grateful for like all of the advice that I got there um, and just all of the support around it. And it was Tell me more about why, why would that, why was that a dangerous situation to say no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I realized that this guy that I dated had a lot of similar characteristics to my dad. He was very pushy. He would, you know, go out in social situations and seem really outgoing and he would make friends really easily. But I realized like, Nobody really wanted to be around him. Like my friends didn't really like him. They wouldn't ride in the same car as us when we were all going somewhere together. Um, and actually my roommate, one of my roommates kept telling me, Kirsten, I don't like him. I just really don't like him. And I took that to heart. And that was ultimately one of the things that led me led to me being able to end the relationship. But it was scary because um, he would get really confrontational and aggressive if I would tell him something that he didn't want to hear. So there was a time when I wasn't, um, I just realized that this relationship wasn't going anywhere and I wanted to break it off with him. So I sat with him and I started saying, you know, I don't think things are right for me right now. I don't think this is what I, what I need. And he raised his voice and asked, are you breaking up with me? But it was, he said it in a very angry way. And so I felt really unsafe, especially yeah. in a family where, yelling and confrontation was seen as a bad thing and you didn't want to cause upset feelings. Um, so it was really difficult to be okay, number one, with hurting someone's feelings and knowing that, you know, I was going to make him upset. And then number two, just being afraid of the way that he would react to things like yelling and getting really upset by things and being kind of confrontational with me. Um, like when I broke up, I, yeah, I actually broke up over the phone because I was too scared to meet him in person. Yeah. And um, it was really frightening. And I was really glad I had my mom's support through that entire situation. But he started like phone stalking me, like calling me over and over again. And it was like midnight. And it was just because I'd sent one text. He didn't like the tone of it. And he realized that I was probably going to break up with him. It was, it was walking on eggshells that entire time. And I know that's something that a lot of people in, in the households that have addiction or like abuse, it's, you feel like you're walking on eggshells trying not to say the wrong thing to upset someone and set them off. And that's exactly how I felt in this relationship. Mm. So I was really grateful that my friend kept telling me you should break up with him because I wanted to, but I was scared to. And then, you know, I had so many different, um, people giving me these like little tools and ways to like look at things and ways to separate my emotions from his responses. So it was really helpful, but totally wow. scary situation. Very scary. Oh my gosh. You probably learned so much from that. Yeah. And these emotionally destructive relationships are really hard to spot initially, yeah. initially, right? But now you probably know more of what to look for. Yeah. And it's so difficult because there's, um, I realized the last relationship I was in, I, you know, I really loved the man that I was in the relationship with, 
but we both had, we both have a lot of issues that we're still working on. And neither of us were necessarily always healthy throughout that relationship. So there were things that we were working on. Um, but you know, I chose someone. It's interesting because I, I started to realize I actually chose someone who um, reminded me more of my relationship with my mom. And she would hate to hear that didn't like him and see would they were totally different like personality wise but you know I I always was nervous of him being critical of me and I always wanted to like win his love and affection and approval because mm. he was emotionally unavailable and distant so in that ways there were kind of aspects of all of my family trauma issues yeah so. Kirsten, I'm in awe at your at your age of 25 years old, at your insight and awareness, your maturity, your ability to to see these patterns and to disrupt them, and the persistence with which you have approached your recovery. I mean, you've done years of therapy, um, trauma work, coaching, 12 step groups, um, daughters in the battle women in the battle. I mean, you have worked so hard. I just want to point out that I think you're incredibly persevering and incredibly wise beyond your years. Like all of your hard work has paid off, is paying off, will pay off. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to witness you doing all of this. I do have another really important question for you. Um, how do you feel like going through what you've gone through with your family, with your dad and the betrayal, how has that impacted your spiritual life and or your relationship with God? <laughs> Sometimes. Another loaded question. I know it's a, it's a tough one. You know, I feel like for a long time, I didn't want to be close to God. Um, I, after I this blew God. up, you mean? After oh, yeah. the, yeah. Okay. What was, let me, let me backtrack a minute. What was your spiritual life before you found out? Honestly, my spiritual life was rocky even before finding out about it. Um, just because when I was younger, my family didn't go to church, but we lived in a very, you know, a very like Christian small community where kids would tell us when they realized we didn't go to church, um, they'd tell my sister and I that we were going to go to hell um, and kind of taunt us and they would push very specific sets of beliefs on people and if you didn't fit in there if you didn't believe what the vast majority believed you would be picked on and we saw it happen to other kids as well so my sister and I really kind of shut down and shut up and didn't talk about it and spirituality and God and Christianity were terrifying to me so I had a lot of spiritual abuse before um like just outside of my home life but then on top of that, you know, my dad would always tell us we were going to pick a church and we were going to, you know, start going to church, but then we never actually did. So there was more spiritual abuse at home on top of that, just with that kind of hope that we would finally, you know, start going to church and we'd you know, choose one and be part of that community. So um, I was scared. Um, I was scared of religion and Christianity. And, you know, I had my own spiritual connection with God, but sometimes I was scared to actually like indulge in that as much as I wanted to. Mm. So then everything happened with my dad and I didn't understand how God could allow that to happen. 
And, you know, after everything that had happened in my life, I was like, God, where are you in this? Like, why are you allowing this to happen? And why are you not changing this for me now? Why are you making me go through this? And at the time, I didn't understand, you know, how, like, if there was a God, why would there be so much suffering and pain? How could this be happening? Um, But, you know, since then, I've come to realize that I think, like, there couldn't be this kind of growth without all of the difficulty and all of the pain that I've gone through. And I firmly believe now that God knows exactly what he's doing. And I firmly believe that, you know, all of this pain he uses and he twists it into a benefit. He makes it into strength and hope and resilience. Um, But I'm not going to lie. There's still days that I get upset with him. Like when I had to, I recently moved back home with my mom after, you know, living in my own space at college for years <laughs> and when all of that happened circumstances of my life I was like, god why are you doing this to me I've already suffered so much I've grown so much so why can't I move forward with my life why can't I reap any of the benefits now yeah. and as frustrating as it is I've still got a long way to go and I know that like there's going to be an intense period of growth for me so I've I've kind of learned that I can look forward to the benefits that are going to come after this, even if right now it's really painful and difficult and there's, you know, it's not where I want to be, but I know that it's going to lead me to somewhere better. And I have a lot of faith in that. And I have faith that whatever God's doing in my life right now is good. Wow. And I believe you have that faith, not because you've read it in the Bible, but because you've seen it in your day. I mean, certainly what we read in scripture is a a promise, right? But until you live it and experience it and see it in your life, sometimes when there's massive crisis, it's hard to hold on to that promise. But you've yeah. seen him come through for you over and over again. And I always have to, I think most of us have a crisis of faith when we go through sexual betrayal in our marriage or in our family of origin. Um, I, I had to come to a massive understanding of how how god could be so good and allow so much suffering and the 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 fact that he gives us a gift of free will was a huge part of my coming to terms with god being good and yet there being so much suffering because the majority of suffering in the world comes as a result of human beings using their free will to make self-centered choices or, you know, what, for whatever reason, to make choices that are destructive to other people, right? In this situation, it was your dad and, and your mom in her own brokenness and pain and all of that. So it's, I don't know about you, but for me, that has been a huge understanding that I've had to come to in order to wrap my brain around God being good and yet there being such horrible things in the world. Yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, and you know, yeah. even in terms of like my parents, um, they've found a huge reawakening of their spirituality. And I know they're both growing a lot in, in Jesus and they're both just, you know, it's funny because my family was never religious or very spiritual when I was younger, but throughout all of this destruction, um, there have just been these seeds planted that 
are starting to grow. And it's really beautiful to see, you know, my family members blossom in their own spirituality and their own relationship with God. That is amazing. You know, here's a great analogy. In order to have like really good growth of crops, you have to have some kind of fertilizer. And a lot of times we use crap, (laughs) right? You have to have decomposing poop to fertilize the land for good growth. And I think that that is, I think the way God made nature, there are reflections of spiritual reality in the, in the physical world all the time. Right. And that is one of those where it's like, it requires some decomposing matter to, (laughs) to have the growth that we long for. And I don't know if you've heard the, the slogan in 12 step communities, but that it's pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I hate it. I hate that that's the truth because I don't like pain. Right. But I love that when I go through pain now, I have that perspective, like you said, of like, this is going to lead me somewhere good if I let it. But it's isn't it interesting, Kirsten, there are people in the world who go through pain and they numb it, they shut it down or they they cope with it in maladaptive or unhealthy ways. And that pain does not lead to spiritual growth. It leads to bitterness, resentment, toxic stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so it's incredible to look at you and see how you have allowed all of this to turn into something incredible for you and for your family. And I have a lot of sympathy too, for people who, you know, use maladaptive coping mechanisms, because I actually had to work through this with my therapist, just trying to understand why people don't want to work through these things. And it's just, it, it makes me so sad for them. But just realizing there are some people who, you know, are so emotionally unavailable or so shut down because of their trauma, that they think they will actually die deal with it. Um, I really feel for, you know, people in that position. I love your, your loving acceptance. That is one of the gifts of recovery. I think Kirsten is people who have worked their own recovery rigorously as you have are the least judgmental people in the world. I mean, look at your empathy for and your and your capacity to understand and accept other people are going to be the way they are you cannot change them in fact you feel compassion for them um, instead of just judging them that is incredible so i would love to ask you um this question kirsten if you had one suggestion to make to other daughters who've gone through what you've gone through the sexual betrayal in your family what would your one piece of advice be to them? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I know, it's hard. hard. <laughs> you could do a couple <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Let's see. You know, I think the biggest thing would just be that regardless of what other people in your family are doing, regardless of what your mom is doing, what your dad is doing, um, like even other siblings, you can always start your own recovery and you can always work your own healing journey. Like there's no, 
there's no reason that just because, you know, your family might not want to, that you can. So I'm really lucky um, in my particular case because my entire family is working, you know, their own individual healing journeys. My dad is in recovery and my mom, um, like all of my family members are in therapy and, you know, in various other groups of their own doing their own work. My parents are currently in marriage counseling, which honestly is funny. It's kind of comical to me, like living with my parents and just like kind of seeing their interactions. Um, like there's still a lot of tension, but it's not the same as when we first found out. It's a lot different now. So I can kind yeah. of take a step back and just appreciate it for what it is. Um, but you can always start your own healing journey. And it's, it's never too late, um, even if it's been you know, a little bit of time, even if you're just realizing that there are things from, you know, years before that are affecting you. So, and then also, um, I would say, it doesn't matter what other people are comfortable with. The only boundaries that, you know, the best boundaries that you can set are the ones that are really healthy and good for yourself. Like you don't have to, you don't have to communicate with toxic family members who make you feel horrible about yourself. You don't have to, you know, tell your dad you love them if you're just really not feeling it. I mean, there was a time period where I actually cut my dad out of my life for about nine mm-hmm. months. I remember because, that. Yeah. I mean, he kept saying these really terrible triggering things to me, things like, um, like he knew that I would think I would hope for his plane to crash and different things like that. Like when he would go to a retreat or something um, in a different state. So there were these things that were just like really painful for me. And I said, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to take some space for myself. And, you know, we were able to actually mend our relationship a little bit and he's done a lot of work since then. So things have definitely gotten better, but it's important to set the boundaries that you need for yourself. Like sometimes, um, my mom and I had to put up boundaries about like what we can talk about and the certain kinds of things that we can say to each other or even yeah. like what we can say to each other. Like I had to tell my mom, I don't want you to ask me what you should do about your relationships or I don't want to hear these kinds of things about you and dad's relationship. Um, so just putting up certain boundaries like that and even like boundaries of how my dad talks about my mom, things like that. So wow. it's important to just figure out what you're comfortable with and make it clear to other people. And it's always good to work on a therapist with that too. Like I, there've been times when I've um, written letters to people and like gotten help from like a therapist or, you know, someone who I can just kind of talk through it with. That is, that's great advice. And for our listeners also, I would encourage you to go to our website, living-truth.org and um, sign up for our newsletter and get us, um, let us know that you are interested in information about our daughter's group. If that is what you need or what one of your kids needs, um, that is led by Kirsten here and Taylor, who's been on previous episodes of the Living Truth podcast. These amazing young women, as you can hear now, through hearing their stories are so good with other young women and they're so knowledgeable 
not just book knowledge, but the school of hard knocks of their lives and their own hard work to be able to help guide young women towards a recovery process from the impact of sexual betrayal on their family. So Kirsten, thank you so much for taking your time to share with our listeners. I know they will be so encouraged and uplifted and given hope by hearing your story. Thank you so much, Kristen. And I really appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely.